Amen. I feel like right now in this room, that's a testimony of some of our lives that we need to run to the Father again. You've run before, but you find yourself heavy and you maybe don't know why. That song starts by saying, I've carried a burden far too long on my own. I hear your invitation to let it go. So I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask God to take these burdens. I'm going to invite you right now to run to the Father in your soul. So you can put your hand up, you can put your hand out, you can lift your head up, you can pray. But as I pray, let's let these things be His. Let's run to Him again in this moment. Would you pray with me? Father, right now across this room, I know there are burdens and weights darknesses, fears, anxieties. I know there are bondages, struggles that seem to never end. We as your people run to you. You've invited us to come and cast our care on you. We run to you again. Help us to know how to give these things to you. We seem really good at carrying them on our own, except they crush us by the design of the enemy, they, they wreck your people. They dim the light that wants to shine out of us. So today, Father, thank you that you want us to run to you again and again and again. We ground our lives in this really basic truth that you are absolutely, unfailingly good. That your faithfulness knows no end. Because of that, Father, we have hope and we have confidence. So we give these things to you. I pray now you would teach us how to do this for, through your word and for our lives. We open our hearts to what you have to say to us. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Before you have a seat, I want you to take a minute and find somebody you haven't said hi to today and just tell them you're glad they're here. I said a minute, so that's about it. All right, all right. We're going to get back to our places, I think. Are you going to come back to your place? All right, good, good, good. Glad that you are here today. It is not a mistake that you are here. And uh, we are glad for the way that God brings us together as a family. Uh, I've just been reminded that some of our family are leaving us, that this is your guys' last Sunday with us today. Ryan and Katie are heading down to Virginia, so they have been dear to me for a long time, for 12 years, 13 years, something like that. Had the privilege of doing their wedding and dedicating kids, so we're going to miss them, pray for them as they go. God's got new plans for them and new places for them, so uh, we are grateful for that, but we're going to miss you. 
as you go. Uh, if you're here, if you're new with us, uh, please check in at our guest center. Find out how we can serve you. We got a gift for you, pray for you, help you, whatever we can do back there. Church family, don't forget about our prayer cards here. If you've got a prayer request you want our prayer team to pray for, it's blue card back there. Drop it in our offering. There's also needs team cards as well as volunteer cards. If you are not serving or underserving, let us know you want to jump in. Drop that in our offering and we will plug you in. We are in our series on in the world but not of the world. Did anybody feel that this week? That you are in the world, but I don't belong here, right? Like this world's a little nuts and what's going on and I don't know what to do about this. That is kind of how we are trying to digest all this fall, different ideas about what we as believers need to remember because we are so easily influenced by the world. We are so easily dragged into living like we belong here when we don't. And things go off the rail when we do. So I'm going to start by saying this this morning. I am tired. Anybody else tired? I don't mean like physically tired, like oh, I could take a nap. I mean like my soul is weary. I feel like I've been in a, in a war, so to speak. Is something wrong with me? Does it mean I don't have faith? Does it mean that I've gone somehow on the wrong track? I think this is what I want to talk to us about. The battle belongs to the Lord. If you're in that place and you're a Christian, I want you to understand this today. This kind of tired most likely has to do with the fact that we are always in a spiritual battle. You may think you're fighting battles, but I wonder if today the Lord will open your eye to the spiritual battle you're fighting. They're often coupled with real-world challenges. Spiritual battles aren't all misty and ethereal and foggy and, and uh, unsubstantial. Oftentimes, they piggyback on the things that are on your mind, the weights and the pressures that you carry. But I hope we can learn today that for a Christian, it is never about the storm. It is never about the trial. It is never about the argument. It is about something entirely different. And I hope that we find hope in this. So let me start by illustrating what I want to talk about today. I want to share, I want to brag on my grandkids just a little bit. Three of my grandkids can touch the roof, can touch the ceiling in my, in my kitchen, which is nine feet high. Three of them are so specially abled, so, so superior that they can actually touch the ceiling in my kitchen. How impressed are you? Yes, you are very impressed, right? What happens? How do they touch the ceiling? Well, I have, a special, I have a special relationship with these kids. Nobody else does it. Other people look at me and gasp and think that I am being, you know, a, a very uh, risky grandparent. But I get them by the, the, the legs or the knees, and I've taught them, like, when I say to them, are you ready? They, like, stiffen up, right? And then I lift them up, and let them drop down back onto me, they think it's like a great adventure ride. Like they're on King Dakar. They're like, oh. like right now it's Cade. And Cade, he's almost one. He just, I think he's 11 months today. And he, I'll say to him, are you ready? And he's joking and laughing and trying to eat my face. And then it's, if I say, you're ready, he gets like this and he like pushes back from me. Like, all right, let's go, Pop. And then I'm like lifting him up and he touches the ceiling. And then we're having a great time, laughing and joking about it, whatever, falls back down into me. And then again and again, we have to do it like 4,000 times because that's the deal, right? Now, what would happen if I said to my grandchildren, if you want to eat today, you have to find a way to touch the ceiling. 
it would be hopeless before they started, wouldn't it? If I tell my one-year-old or my three-year-old, you got to find a way to touch the ceiling. Now, Macy probably would. She'd probably build a <laughs> something. But it's beyond their ability to even really start. The reality is for them, they have strength that is beyond their strength. Someone with greater height and strength is able to add to what they can do. Now, I don't touch the ceiling for them, right? They put their hand up. But my strength and my height is added to theirs. When I talk about spiritual battles, this is exactly what we need. I want us to start with two ideas this morning, and I want you to get a hold of these. Number one, the battle that you face is always too big for you on your own. There is not a real battle that you can handle on your own. Secondly, you're not on your own. Those two realities, I think, are supposed to be lived in our lives day in and day out. Sometimes the size of the battle, the overwhelming nature of the battle is God's grace to remind us of what we need to know. Because we tend to lean into our own strength but we need to hold on to the reality that we have more strength than ours and that our strength is not enough. Listen to what David says as he fights Goliath. If you've never read the story of David and Goliath, it's in 1 Samuel chapter 17. And David, a, a, a shepherd boy, not a king, not a warrior, a shepherd boy, goes out to meet this giant and, and face really the entire army of the Philistines with a few stones in his pocket. This giant has intimidated the entire army of Israel as well as their king, into cowering away. David goes out. Before he throws a stone, he has a conversation with the giant in front of all of Israel and in front of all of Philistia. And here's some of what he says, 1 Samuel 17, verse 47, that all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. Some of you need to write this on your mirror and keep this because you keep trying to find the right sword and the right spear to win the battle. The problem is God doesn't win battles by swords and spears, right? So David walks out there and he, Saul tried to give him a helmet and armor and, and David says, no, can't do that. But David walks out and he says, to all those gathered here that you will know it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. The battle is the Lord's. I think one of the places that we've got to grow in maturity is understanding what that means and understanding what the battle is. David's battle was unwinnable. There was no chance. It was actually laughable, and that's exactly what Goliath did when David came out to him. He laughed at him. But David is not intimidated by that at all. In fact, he says, this overwhelming situation, all of the facts of the situation, you're a giant, there's an army, this army's scared, this king's running and hiding, I'm out here with no armor on and with just a few stones. This whole setup is so that everyone here will know. So that everyone here will see. David already knew the others needed to see and believe. But I think most of the time for us, we're the ones who need to see. We're the ones who don't see. My theory is God gives us overwhelming battles because we need them to figure out how we're supposed to live. That we are not supposed to measure the size of the challenge against the size of my strength. 
We are not supposed to size it up and decide if victory is possible or not possible. We are supposed to start by recognizing that I need more strength than I have on my own, but I am not on my own. Some of us have been in battles with depression, addiction, relational conflicts, stuckness. We, we fight despair. We fight discouragement. We have financial pressures. We are dissatisfied. We, we fight these battles all the time. The Lord does not save by sword or spear. The battle is the Lord's. So we're going to start by looking at Exodus 14. And we've done this study before. If you want to go there in your Bible to Exodus chapter 14, we're going to bounce around a little bit. Exodus 14, then we'll head to 2 Corinthians 10 in a little bit. But Exodus 14 is where we start. We did a study through this story of Israel way back when, uh, two, three years ago. Exodus and Numbers, this whole journey of Israel. This verse shows up in this situation. Israel, a nation that used to be slaves in Egypt for hundreds of years, is now freed from slavery. They are at the brink of the Red Sea. They can't go forward anymore, and behind them has come the very army that they were set free from, the army of Egypt. The, that is the setup to this whole thing. The battle is on them, or, or the army is right there. They can literally see the army, and as they assess, they go, we're not strong enough to beat that army. And then they turn around and they look at the Red Sea, and the Red Sea is not a problem that could be solved by them. It's not like a, well, let me see if I back up far enough and take enough of a run here. Maybe I could jump. Or who can swim? Who's a good, like it wasn't any, there was nothing they could do. They could not get away and they could not fight the battle. And this is the very setup to what God wants to show them. In spite of the fact that they've seen God's power, in spite of the fact that they are not currently standing in Egypt as slaves, in spite of the fact that God has promised to deliver them, all they see is the impossibility of the battle. Patterns of thinking about yourself are hard to shake, aren't they? They have thought of themselves as a hopeless case. They have thought of themselves as not worthy of freedom. They have thought of themselves as people who are weak. Again and again and again. I could see if you were there, many of you, if we've had conversations, I could see exactly what you'd say. See, I knew it. This is just about, just about par for my life. This is just the way life goes for me. I knew God was gonna, I knew I was gonna think that something good was gonna happen. Why would I ever think that something good's gonna happen? Like we have conversations about ourselves in our head. We have patterns and those patterns sometimes are hard to get rid of. Israel found it hard to get rid of the idea that they were in danger, that they were weak, that they were gonna be overcome by the Egyptians and that God would not show up. So Moses turns to the people, verse 13, and he says to them, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. Now watch this verse. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Before God does the miracle, he uses Moses to tell his people, I want you to see what's happening here. I want you to understand this setup. This is not, so I didn't put this in front of you so you could say, well, how fast can we run? How far can we run? For some of us, we need to learn the lesson that, that the solution to our problems is not running. 
They thought if we could just run and get out of here, if we could just be fast enough to get away, we'd be safe. God didn't want them to run away and not see his power, right? He wanted them to stay right there and see what he was going to do. God says, don't think about what you can do. Watch what I can do and learn what this teaches you. The psalmist uh, summed up this lesson in Psalm 121. If you're somebody who struggles with the battle belonging to the Lord and you struggle with hopelessness, you struggle with the weight of life, Psalm 121 is a great psalm for you. It starts off like this. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? We're good at this part. Oh no, we're doomed. What's going to happen? Like you can see this person looking around like, where am I going to get? What's going to, can I run there? This, it's all coming at me. We're really good at the panic part. We got that down. Like if, if God's up in heaven grading us, he's like, okay, panic A. You guys are good, right? You, you're advanced. You probably have like, you know, graduate a PhD in it. So you're really, really good at that. It's the next part we struggle with, verse two. My help comes from the Lord. And who is the Lord? The maker of heaven and earth. How big is he? How great is he? How strong is he? Have you seen the earth? Have you seen the heavens? He's got power you can't even dream up. He is my help. He is the way that I will face this trouble and this despair. He is the one that I will put my trust in. I think we get the first part really naturally. Oh no, what am I going to do? We're doomed. But the second part is what we need to learn how to do it. In this moment, God says to Israel, you don't understand. You're afraid because you don't understand what I'm doing. What I'm doing is I'm about to show you my power. I'm going to deliver you right here and right now, specifically because it's not possible. Stand still, be still, stand firm, probably refers to the fact that they were literally running around crazy, right? They were going nuts. Oh no, oh no, where's my children and covering them up and like, oh no, like this is gonna help, right? And Moses says to them, be still. Some of us, we're never gonna see the power of God because we can't be still. We are so convinced that we are in danger that all we do is spin and spin and spin, run and run and run, panic and panic and panic, and we start setting up whatever we've got. And it's like we've got this little tiny, you know, uh, pieces of wood or what against this giant army. Okay, that's all I got, but that's got to do because I got to be ready for what they come. We haven't seen the pointlessness of our power versus what we face. In this moment, God says, be still. If you keep running around, you're going to miss what you need to see. For some of us, God hasn't moved yet because we're still panicking. And for others of us, we're panicking so much we're not seeing what God is doing. Like, could you imagine if God's part in the Red Sea and they're all like, oh no, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And then Moses is like, look over there. Anybody want to walk that way? Like they would have missed the whole thing and their whole experience that God wanted for them would have been muted and diluted because they would have been living in a false narrative for the people of God. It's a true narrative by the world, false narrative for those who belong to him. Now being still didn't mean they had nothing to do. They are about to walk into the Red Sea on dry land. It couldn't just stand there. Well, stand still and see the salvation. Okay, 
And God opens the sea and they're like, nope, you told me to stand still. I'm just staying right here. No, they had to do some stuff, right? They had to walk out into the sea. When, when God tells you, the battle belongs to me, stand still and watch what I do. It doesn't mean you're not going to have things to say. It doesn't mean not things you have to do. Moses had to hold up the rod. The Israelites had to walk. First, they had to wait. Some of us, that's our problem. You have to wait. One of the things you got to do is wait until God's winning the battle, right? For some of us, the waiting means shut your mouth for a little bit, Right? Like your words are not what's going to win the battle. Is that okay if the battle gets won without you saying the zinger? Without you winning the point? Is that okay? Are you all right if your words are not what win the battle? So be still. So sometimes it's wait. And then they have to step out into the thing. There will be steps that you will need to take for God to win the battle in your trial or storm. You may need to have a conversation. You may need to grant forgiveness. You may need to work on fixing the things that you broke when you were doing it your way. You may need to start doing what's right that you've never considered doing. You may need to stop doing what's wrong that you just have a habit of doing. But it's not in the actions you take that the power is. Don't mistake this. It's not because you did the right thing that the power of God, like that, that you have power. It's because when you do the right thing, what you're doing is surrendering the battle to the Lord. And in the midst of what is too small to make any difference, God's power shows up. We do not trust in our actions. We trust in the power of God. Be still. Stand firm. Don't be afraid. And what it meant is, let's be real, Israel. You're not going to part the Red Sea. Let's be honest. You don't have the strength to walk through the Red Sea on your own, but I do. And when I do, then you can move. And when you move, I want you to watch how your obedience in moving into the power of God is used by God to defeat the army because they're going to follow you into the Red Sea as soon as they are allowed to. And that's exactly where I want them so that I can destroy them all and show you that my promise is true, that you will never see them again. Right? How did that happen? It happened because God said, I'm going to show you that the battle belongs to me. And you're going to act, have to act and think like I'm right. Clearly, the Lord is fighting for them. And clearly, their obedience was a part of how God fought for them. So some of us are really, really tired. Really tired. And I can imagine, in, in this story, I can imagine it's like this. You're really tired because you're trying real hard to part the Red Sea. You're never going to do it, but you've got your, your gallon bucket. You're at the seashore, like, almost got it, guys. Why is nobody else helping me? Like this, we live this life, don't we? Man, I'm tired, but I got to keep going because I got to get across the sea. Be still. Be still. Know that the battle belongs to the Lord. Okay, well, we get that. Something inside of us resonates with that. Let's go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, because I, I want you to see how Paul takes the same concept and talks about it in a very different context. He talks about how the battle belongs to the Lord, how the, the, the way that we fight is a different way than the world. So we start with the basic concept of understanding this, that most of our lives and most of our walks and all of our troubles include spiritual battles. If you're a believer, 
Your struggle through this week, this past week, and through this coming week are going to include spiritual battles. Almost all of your struggles, if not all of them, are going to include spiritual battles about whether you're going to see this through the lens of trust or fear. Whether you're going to walk by faith or you're going to walk in despair. Whether you're going to believe that you're all alone or whether you know the presence of God. This is the battle you will face. Then we step into some of the ways that we see God's people engaging the power of God. So here's Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. He says this, By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold towards you when I'm away. So this verse is Paul beginning this discussion about there are these pseudo-apostles, these false apostles who have come to Corinth and said, Paul, he's weak, he's timid, and, and he writes big, but when he shows up, he's really scared of you. And so Paul's kind of in, with some sarcasm, you can kind of feel the sarcasm dripping off this. I, Paul, who am timid when I write, but, or bold when I write, but timid when I show up. Oh no, I'm scared of you. I'm writing to you. What Paul is saying is there's a, there's a battle going on here, but it's not the battle like you think, right? Verse two, he says, I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. Now this next verse is where I pick up why I wanted to show this to you. It says this, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. Did you know that we don't fight like the world fights? If the battle belongs to the Lord, then I can't fight like it belongs to me. If the battle belongs to the Lord, then I can't fight like the world fights. What does that mean? He keeps going. Verse four, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Paul says we don't fight like the world fights. Paul is in a situation where he's talking about the leadership of a church power, authority, influence. And whenever those things come up, we start to think like the world does. What power means, what, where is it advantageous to be? Who gets the final say? I get this all the time. We talk about marriage roles and husbands and wives and who's in charge. Well, you know, who gets the final say? Listen, if your definition of headship comes down to who gets the final say, you kind of miss the whole point because we don't do it like that. That's not the, that's not the forum in which we work. There's a whole different heavenly way that we think and act in partnership with one another. Paul says, you guys think this is a competition about who's stronger, who's not. Paul says, it's not a worldly battle. So I'm not going to use worldly techniques, worldly weapons, worldly value systems to define victory or loss. As a matter of fact, Paul, at the end of his ministry, what happens to Paul? Do you guys know? Yeah. He's killed. He's beheaded for his ministry. So did he win or did he lose? It depends on whose value system you use. Because if you say the world's value system, then the world's like, we won. We, we put an end to him. He's done. Nobody can hear him anymore. Yay us. But God said, well done, good and faithful servant. 
There's two different ways of evaluating a win. And too often Christians, as we interact with this world, as we interact with culture, as we interact with politics, we interact like the world's sense of victory is our sense of victory. And that's where we go off the rails. I want you to know that we don't win our spiritual wars. We don't let God's power be the one that wins the battle. We don't let the battle be the Lord's when we aren't walking God's way. Paul talks about demolishing strongholds. Some of our strongholds aren't demolished because we're living in them. God comes along to knock down our fear and our worry and we're like, no, 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 that's how I care about people. Let me put that back. I like that. Can we just leave that stronghold here? There's other ones I don't like. Could you knock them down instead of this one? Because this one, I like we don't let God knock over strongholds because we're living them. God's power is enough, more than enough to defeat them. But our battle plan has to be surrender. So I'm going to get a little pointed, but I think this is rubber meets the road for us. Your spiritual battles, you might feel like you're getting crushed in them, but it's because you're taking weapons of the world and trying to fight spiritual battles. with them. We will not win our spiritual battles with bitterness, with rage, with malice, with revenge. It might make you feel strong, but it's a loss. You won't win God's war the world's way. We do not win our spiritual battles with worry and fear. No matter what label you put on it, well, I'm just being wise. I'm just being cautious. Worry and fear are weapons the world uses to try to manage the uncertainty of life. What does a believer use to manage the uncertainty of life? Prayer? Faith? Right? I see the uncertainty through the eyes of my God is good. I can bet my life on him. He's never failed me and he's not about to start now. That's how a Christian faces uncertainty. The world faces uncertainty like, oh no, I don't know what's coming. Oh no, I don't I gotta, well, I gotta do this in case that. I gotta do this in case that. And then I think about all the scenarios, whatever. That's the world's way. You're not gonna win your spiritual battle fighting it the world's way. We don't win spiritual battles with control, with pride. We don't win spiritual battles with immorality and greed. We don't win spiritual battles with language coming out of our mouth that Jesus would have never said. Like we don't win our spiritual battles living like we don't belong to Jesus. We win our spiritual battles when we walk God's way. Because then the power of God flows because then we are surrendered to him. Paul gives a couple details about these strongholds. First, he says that these strongholds are arguments and pretension that set themselves up against something. Did you see what it was? We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against knowing God. Arguments and pretensions. In other words, the battle is knowing who God is for real. So what do we do? We take every thought captive. The battle is in our minds. The battle is in our internal conversation. And we need to find a way to make them obedient. We need to find a way to discipline them. So digest these words, because this is a strategy for your spiritual battles. A stronghold is a word for fortress, dug in, well-protected, not easily moved, not easily overpowered. And they are, Paul says, what I'm using when I say fortress are arguments and pretensions against actually knowing God. The word arguments is literally the word for false reasoning. 
a, a, a wrong thought process. And pretensions is the word for high thinking. You think that your lies, your falsehoods about God are actually better thinking. And so you think them like you know something when you actually don't know anything and it becomes stuck in you because you think about it like a pattern over and over and over again. When you think of God as something that he isn't and you do it as a pattern, you have a stronghold against knowing God. And I know people who have all kinds of strongholds against knowing God. I don't know if I believe God exists. I don't know if I believe Jesus is God incarnate. I don't know if I believe God is good. I don't believe God cares about me. I don't believe God isn't disappointed in me. Like we all have strongholds, narratives that we've patterned into ourselves that we believe about God. And these, Paul says, these are strongholds and they need to be torn down by divine power. The war is whether we know God for who he is. We lose when we think in patterns about God that aren't true, like Israel. God called them his people. God promised to deliver them. But when they find themselves on the banks of the Red Sea, they think he's failed us. He's forgotten us. I knew it. We were slaves. That is the battle and that is the stronghold that God wanted to demolish by parting the Red Sea. All right, I don't have a lot of time, so I just want to give you some practical stuff in life about where some of these battlefronts are. Sometimes the battle's inside of you. You're like, I don't like me. I'm a Christian, but I still have this, and this thing never seems to go, and I always get stuck here, and whatever. And you get discouraged that you don't know how God, when you, how do I give this battle to the Lord? Well, I want to show you 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24 are verses that talk about the reality that God is the one who wins the battle in you changing you from who you are to who you will be. Here's what he says in 1 Thessalonians 5. May God himself, the God of peace, and I love it, it says, may God himself, like personally, he's gonna do this, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. The word sanctify is get rid of the stuff that should go, the stuff that's poisonous and, and death and, and dirty, get, sanctify and build into your life what is good. May he sanctify you all the way through, through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 24, this is the kicker. The one who calls you is, is he? How faithful is he? He will do it. And will he? Will he do it in you? You might be like, the enemy's coming at you like, oh, you're always going to be this way. You're never going to be free. You're always going to have this problem. No, not for a believer. First of all, I know this. Someday I won't be here. I'll be there. And it's going to be done, right? Someday I'm going to be there. So I know that there is coming. But God can do it now if I will stop making it about me. And I start realizing how to surrender it to him. He says the same thing back in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. He says this. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Who's doing the work in you? You. See, I don't get to get up here and be like, well, my life looks like this and it's because I did all, I did this and I did this. No, he did this, right? Whatever's good in me, he did. He did whatever's good in you too. Whatever's stuck is just stuff I haven't given to him yet. I'm still holding on like I need to control it or I need to say where it goes or I'm not saying there's nothing to do. I'm just saying I don't do it because I'm going to make it work. I do it because I trust that he's the one at work inside of me. Being confident of this. I think something the enemy wants to steal from you is being confident of this. Knowing it. 
being sure of it. It's one of the reasons we worship together and we sing together. We sing this, the songs we sang this morning. If you're missing out on that, you're missing out on some of the ways that we establish in our souls these truths so that we can live out of them as we go out of here into the week. Sometimes we don't feel like it's all internal. We feel like there's battles we have with situations in the world or people in the world. I want to take you one page back to Ephesians chapter 6 where it's really famously, Paul talks about putting on the armor of God and spiritual warfare. It's probably the place where onward Christian soldiers comes from and that kind of idea. But here's what he actually says, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Did did you see be strong in yourself? Did you see ask what you can do about it? Did you see what do you want? Be strong in the Lord and in his so-so power. His mediocre power. His like, yeah, maybe he could could do it. Maybe he won't do it. We don't really know. Sometimes it's too. No, in his mighty power. Is his power mighty? Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. He does not say be strong in yourself. Pull yourself together. Try harder. He says be strong in the Lord. How am I supposed to be strong in the Lord? How am I supposed to win the battle because the battle belongs to the Lord? Here's how. You take what he's given you. Put on the armor of God. You take what he's given you and you start to use it. He later gives a word picture about all this armor, salvation and faith and God's word and righteousness and peace. And you put it on. These things that he's given you, you start to live out of them. You do this war in your thoughts and how you think about God. It's throwing away what we've learned about battles from the world and surrendering the battle to the Lord. And then our actions reflect it and our attitude reflects it. We live in a confidence that comes from knowing we have given this to the mighty power of God who is faithful and who will do it. One last thing. Some of us aren't winning our spiritual battles because we didn't pick up on what he said there. Your struggle is not against flesh and blood. Did you know that your battle is not actually with people? Some of you think it is. You think your battle is with people who in this culture think the wrong way? or are against you, somebody who's making accusations at you. Paul says it pretty plainly. Your battle's not with people. Your battle's with an enemy who wants to derail the victory that God has already given you. So we fight spiritually against an enemy that wants to make it. Here's three strategies. Number one, he wants to make you fight in your own power. And he's probably been pretty good at that probably why we're weary. Go ahead. You can do it. Pull yourself together. Pull yourself up. It's Figure it out. It's all on you. Fight in your own power. Number two, he wants to make us fight one another. Your battle's not against flesh and blood. Read through the New Testament sometimes and do a study of the word division. It's one of the major themes of the New Testament that the body of Christ cannot afford to be derailed by division, by fighting against each other. The third strategy is to fight like the world. Use their weapons. Use their definition of victory. Fight on their terms. The enemy wants you to fight on your own power. Fight one another and fight like the world. Instead, what we do is we surrender. 
We win by losing. We live by dying. We give all the value we've got by offering our bodies as living sacrifices. It's a different way of living. And I'm saying to you, watch God show you how the world has influenced you away from what we just studied this morning into living and fighting like they do. And stop picking up the weapons they give you. The battle's already in our life. We get to decide if we're going to trust our Lord, if we're going to really know him, if we're going to live and walk in faith and let God's power flow out in our lives. Let's let Jesus teach us this week how to do exactly that. So I'm gonna close in prayer. And as I do, you, you have a conversation with the Lord about God teaching you. Because we're about to go out into the workshop here for God to show us where these battle lines are. Ask him to shine light in your soul. Ask him to help you surrender. Maybe there's a, a specific battle right now that you've been carrying and you've been fighting and it should belong to the Lord and you don't even know how to make it belong to him, but you want it to belong to him and you could just say, God, will you take it? And show me how to give it to you. Let's pray. Father, right now, we are people who recognize by the power of your spirit and through the, the teaching of your word that we are in spiritual battles. You have told us that the battle belongs to you. Help us to understand what that means for our life personally. Show us even in these moments where we are fighting battles in our own strength, where we're, we're shooting at the wrong target, where we're using the wrong tools, we're thinking the wrong way. Help us to demolish, see these strongholds demolished by your power in our soul as we take thoughts captive in obedience to Christ. Father, I pray that the victory you have won through the cross and the grave is a victory you will help us to live in every day in our lives. Show us, lead us, change us, work in us, we pray for your honor and your glory. For we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.